Will you uncover the secret of the ancient burial grounds? You've always been fascinated by the Anasazi, a Native American tribe which mysteriously vanished hundreds of years ago. When you learned that thieves are stealing valuable artifacts and destroying their sacred ruins, you take the next plane to New Mexico. Your friend Edward, whose father is the chief of the Navajo Tribal Police, wants to help investigate before the vandals strike again. Will you wait for Edward's father to wrap up another case and join you, or will you and Edward go off on your own? If you decide to drive out to the grave sites with Edward, turn to page 6. If you decide to wait and check out the ruins with Edward and his father, turn to page 100. But be careful, these thieves might be deadly. You could catch up with them and uncover an amazing civilization. Or you might end up being buried alive in an underground cave. What happens next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. How does the story end? Only you can find out. And the best part is that you can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredibly daring experiences. You're the star. 14 exciting endings. Choose your own adventure book 103. Grave Robbers by Ramsey Montgomery, illustrated by Leslie Morrell. Welcome to Incredibly Daring, a podcast where we read vintage two journal adventure books to each other and make generally poor decisions. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. I'm Connie. 14 endings, though. That's not that many endings. And these later books tend not to have a whole lot of endings. I think the issue with the ones that had like 40 endings and even 20 endings and stuff is that you just don't have much time for a story to yeah. develop at that point. Yeah. Three or four page scenarios and then at the end. Go here, go here, go here. <laughs> yeah. Or sometimes loop back and then go here. Yeah. But yeah, it took them a little bit of time to figure out exactly how they wanted to. I, I guess the, the formula, they figured out the formula. Mm-hmm. And I'm not 100% sold on less endings is better. Like sometimes I prefer a book that has 40 endings, like um, Sugarcane Island, when that one showed up and it was just nonsense from start to finish. And that's kind of fun sometimes. So I wish they had done a, like a more even split between yeah. you know, ridiculous number of endings and more story driven. Well, their, their audience was becoming older and more... Well, their initial audience, but their target audience was always the same. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, even 12-year-olds were starting to get more wise to the ways of the world. In the 90s? I don't think so. You remember the 90s. <laughs> Garbage fail kids. No, that was the 80s. Son of a bitch. You don't remember the 90s. the 90s. The 90s was extreme everything. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Yeah. Yeah. But more so like street sharks and like biker mice from Mars. Like yeah, that was yeah, yeah. that was what the nineties gave street us. Street sharks. Extreme. <laughs> street sharks. Good lord. Yeah. So So are we the grave robbers or I believe we are tracking grave robbers. Oh darn. <laughs> yes. It is an interesting title for a children's adventure. Seriously. Book. And oh, by the way, this book also used to be a library book. Mm-hmm. It was it was owned by the Junior Library in Denison, Iowa. Ooh. What were the checkout? What was the last checkout so, date? Yeah, the book itself was published in July of 1990. Okay. And the very last checkout for this book in particular was September of 92. Huh. So it got a little over two years of shelf life, and then who knows what happened to <laughs> then it. Some kid burnt the school <laughs> down except for the library, and they had to sell them. It had a good run. That's how it, my narrative goes. I, I don't know if two years is a good run. <laughs> 
I would want my my masterpiece. I mean, I don't know if this is Ramsey and Montgomery's masterpiece or not, but I'm sure they all thought whatever one they were writing at the time was going to be their masterpiece. But I would want it to have a longer shelf life than two years. It had a good run. <laughs> Warning. Do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have when you attempt to stop the destruction of the ancient Anasazi Indian burial grounds. From time to time as you read along, you will be asked to make a choice. Your choice may lead to success or disaster. The adventures you have are the result of your choices. You are responsible because you choose. After you make a choice, follow the instructions to see what happens to you next. Think carefully before you make a decision. The Southwest could be fun. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> but whoever is robbing the graves for their valuable pottery could be dangerous. Potheads, mm. all right. Who doesn't love some beautiful pottery? Even if you do return the stolen artifacts to their proper grave sites, you may not necessarily make it home. Good luck. You'll be the next grave. Mm -hmm. The next grave site could be your own. <laughs> You stare at your television set as the following special report is announced. State, local, and tribal police remain mystified by the recent theft and destruction of the Anasazi Indian sites. There are literally thousands of these ancient ruins throughout the canyonlands of Arizona, New Mexico, and Nevada, and thieves have brazenly robbed some of the best-known Anasazi sites, right under the noses of the law. Vandal's theft of the valuable pottery and wanton destruction of these sites has left investigators angered. In their haste to locate these priceless artifacts, thieves have used pickaxes, shovels, even backhoes, destroying the ruins in the process. As you can see, the Anasazi built their homes to blend in with the landscape. Made of stone and mud brick, these dwellings became a part of canyon walls and cliffs, the Anasazi way of life in harmony with nature until hundreds of years ago, when they mysteriously vanished. Here's a map of all the sites. <laughs> you can hardly believe it, 12-year-old... Your interest in the Anasazi started last year, when you were 11. You spent the summer with your great-aunt, who lives in New Mexico. And now you're an expert on their tribe. She introduced you to the Anasazi. She also introduced you to Daniel Chinua. Chinua? China-ua. <laughs> I like that one. That's where we're going with. Chihuahua? No. <laughs> she also introduced you to Daniel China-ua. I'm not even going to be able to pronounce that particularly well. Daniel C. Uh, Daniel son. And his son, Edward Running Coyote. Oh, God damn it. They're Native Americans. <laughs> Making fun of them. You're going to get just reamed. Uh, reamed, I say. Just getting more racist as we go. <laughs> <laughs> you and Edward quickly become close friends. Your friendship was strengthened by your interest in the Anasazi Indians. The two of you vowed to try and solve the mystery of their disappearance together. Something that nobody has been able to do for thousands of years. You two little 12-year-olds have set your sights on solving. Via pen pal, maybe, because mm -hmm. you don't live near him. Yep. Riveting letters between the two of you. Power of friendship. Yep. The television reporter continues the special report by showing different types of pottery that the Anasazi made. Ooh, riveting stuff. This might look insignificant to many of our viewers, but pottery and other artifacts like this give us history and insights into the Indian culture. Anthropologists and historians believe that secrets locked up in the ancient existence of this civilization could benefit us all. Anthropologists believe that secrets locked up in the ancient existence of this civilization. I guess that's a sentence that makes sense. 
They might even serve as warnings to us today. Warnings that could help prevent our modern civilization from disappearing, just as the Anasazi did, oh, hundreds of years ago, not thousands. Oh. I have been overselling it. Mm. My apologies. <laughs> Nodding your head in agreement. The TV. You feel an overpowering urge to stop the destruction of the sites and to uncover the secret of the Anasazi. With us here tonight is the chief of the Navajo tribal police, Daniel China Ua. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The report continues. Mr. China Ua, what can you tell us about the Anasazi? You don't wait to hear what the chief says. You know it already from your long days hiking the canyons with him and his son, Edward. You reach for the phone and anxiously await the ring at the other end of the line, some 1,800 miles away. Oh. So place your bets as to where we are located. That's, why would that be on the, unless it was like a weird national news yeah, it would have That's to be some sort of a weird midday national news sort of a thing. We're just YouTubing random news sources. 90s YouTube, can you imagine? 90s Newsmax. <laughs> channel 1. Maybe it's a Channel 1 report. Oh, there we go. Because we were forced to watch those. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. That's what it was. Ed, it's me. I've just seen your dad on TV. Is it really as bad as it seems? I mean, the gang who's busting up the sites? Is the damage really as severe as they say? I'm sure glad you called, Edward says. I was just going to call you. Can you come out here and help us? Sure you were, Edward. <laughs> if you can catch the next plane to Albuquerque, Albuquerque, <laughs> I'll explain everything then. <laughs> Where the towels are oh so fluffy. It's summer vacation. You've got money saved up from your part-time job at the gas station in town. Just last week, your parents even suggested that it might be a good time for you to go back to New Mexico. GTFO, kid. <laughs> Love the way they suggested that. They've been suggesting that since I got back. I'll see you in Albuquerque tomorrow afternoon, Ed. I'm on my way. It's a long flight from the middle of the country to mm -hmm. New Mexico. A flight leaves early the next morning, and you're able to get a reservation. Not that kind of reservation. Mm. Ouch. It doesn't take you long to pack. Your clothes, books, and rock climbing and camping gear fit into two blue canvas duffels. Jesus. You are a boss. The next morning, your parents drop you off, and before long, you're in the air. Yeah, they won't let you take all that on a plane anymore. No, I mean, well, you, you can. It's just going to cost you. Can't have your mom climbing inside the airplane. Stabbing <laughs> people with tent stakes. <laughs> Edward meets you at the airport. It's really good to see him after almost a whole year. Once the two of you are in his Jeep and headed out to... Yes, he, you're why, old enough to drive. Why does he have a Jeep and you're 12? Because I'm telling you, you don't look any older than 12 in any of these pictures. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's your weird older friend. <laughs> or maybe the laws are different in New Mexico. In Albuquerque, yes. Laws are very different in Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> Once the two of you are in his Jeep and headed out of town, you ask, what's going on? Thieves are destroying the ruins. I mean, did you not pay attention to the news report? Mm -hmm. They've taken all the valuable pottery and are selling it on the black market. And Azazi pots sell for thousands of dollars. They're in huge demand. Oh, we should get it on that. Private collectors value them highly, and they don't care how they get them. They just want to show the pottery off to their friends. A thing that they probably couldn't do because it's illegal to own it. I mean, if their friends are also illegal motherfuckers. People aren't illegal, Jason. Mm. I disagree. <laughs> Racists. The reports say that there aren't any clues. What can we do? 
We have to stop these thieves. You surprise yourself with the determination in your voice and your anger. I mean, you flew all the way out there. Man, we don't know ourselves that well, do we? Nope. My father is waiting for us in Shiprock, Edward says. He'll explain everything then. The drive between Albuquerque and Shiprock is beautiful. Mountains to the east and north, desert and big sky all around. When you pull into the driveway, you see Mr. Chinaua. Chinaua. That sounds more. It's Yes, it sounds more. I just, close. I'm not going to get this right no matter how I choose to pronounce it. Sitting on the porch waiting for you. Chinaua. Chinaua. I'm maybe trying to make it seem... Harder than it is. Yeah, I might. I don't know. That's what my mom said about my life. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) You see Mr. Chinawa sitting on the porch waiting for you. He has a large glass of lemonade in his hand. Welcome, my friend. I knew you would come. Here, have some lemonade to fight the heat. We have a lot to talk about. You take a glass and sit down. Several hours later... (laughs) Your bag's still in the car... You, you have, have gone inside. Real bad. Yeah. Several hours later, as you settle in for sleep, you think about everything that Mr. Chinawa has told you. The situation looks grim. It seems that there are several gangs raiding the Indian sites, and threats have been made to a volunteer citizens patrol. Ed, let's go down to your father's office tomorrow and look at the reports, you say. You never know. Maybe we'll find something that others have missed. I think that's about all we can do at this point. I'll wake you up early tomorrow, Edward says. And good night. And hey, Thanks for coming. Also, I love you. That was a weird segue section. Like, that all seems like exposition stuff that maybe should have been addressed while we were drinking our lemonade. Yes. (laughs) Instead of jumping straight from lemonade to several hours later as you're going to sleep. Mm -hmm. Early the next morning, Edward wakes you up. He is excited and sounds upset. Huh. Okay. Both those things, I guess. The thieves have sent a note to the police demanding that they call off the investigation. They've threatened to take hostages from one of the smaller reservations. Jesus. <laughs> Come, let's get down to the station and see what we can find. You jump out of bed and get dressed quickly. Edward is waiting for you in the jeep. And together you roar off to his father's headquarters. We're going to save the day. Even though Mr. Chinua is not there. You locate the reports. There are many of them, and it takes you most of the day to go through them. <laughs> Most of the raids have been made in the Escalante River region of Utah. I wonder why, you ask. It's remote, I guess. What do you think about driving up there and having a look around, Edward says. Yes, yes. He loves adventure. So do you. Great idea, you say. Let's wait for your father to get back so he'll know where we are. Ugh, just leave a note. Mr. Chinua is back soon. He approves, but suggests that you and Edward wait a day or two. He might be able to go with you then. You're not sure what you and Edward should do. If you wait for Mr. Chinua, you might be able to do some research over the next couple of days. On the other hand, the sooner you get to the Escalante River region of Utah, the sooner you may uncover some clues that will help save the ruins. If you decide to wait for Mr. Chinua, turn to page 100. If you decide to leave as soon as possible, turn to page 6. Hmm, I wonder which one we're going to choose. Research is boring. Seriously. Plus, we're already experts at all of this. I bet you research takes us on like a what happened to them path, and the other one takes us on a kick-ass fighting the the bad guy's path. Get ready to die path. Yeah, let's do that one. Yeah. Screw research. Mm Mm-hmm. And parental supervision. Yeah. We don't need that. We don't need that shit. We flew here all the way from wherever. And our friend already has his own Jeep. Heck yeah. We'll take our own guns. We're basically grown-ups already. Basically. 
You spend the afternoon packing equipment and supplies needed for your expedition into the Escalante Canyon. It could be dangerous if you get lost. Edward calls Philip Moss, your guide last summer, and asks him to come along with the two of you in, on the trip. He agrees. Ah, oh, parental supervision anyway. Damn it. Son of a bitch. Hopi Indian, Philip has spent most of his life exploring the desolate and beautiful canyon lands of the Southwest. He is six. <laughs> <laughs> when everything is packed and ready to go, the three of you pile into Edward's Jeep and head for Boulder, Colorado, where you'll begin your trip into the Escalante Canyon. I thought we were going to Utah. Well, you're going to start in Boulder, okay. Colorado. Southwest. Yeah. There are a few cars on the road, and the three of you trade off the driving, taking shifts. Hmm. See, we all can drive. So, two 12-year-olds and a 6-year-old. Just keep that in mind, folks. <laughs> he can't even reach the paddles. I go fast, Indy! <laughs> <laughs> Seven hours later, you reach Boulder. The local forest ranger, Alfred Wyatt, briefs you on where to go in the canyons. Those thieves made a raid just yesterday, Alfred tells you. They attacked one of my favorite ruins. <laughs> yeah, I have favorites. I mean, I imagine that would be the case, but yeah. it just seems silly reading it. There's nothing left but a pile of rock and mud brick. It looks like a bomb exploded there. Could you tell us the location of this site, you ask? We might be able to find some clues. You never know. Don't tell them. You never reveal your favorite spot. I mean, you are just like telling these random children that wandered into your office all <laughs> yeah. kinds of information. Yeah. Like, what? who are you with, FBI? We're not ransacking sites. No. <laughs> Tell us where some good ones are. <laughs> so do you have any shovels we can borrow? Uh-huh. Alfred hands you a large map. I made this to show where the thieves have hit. I use my own set of symbols. This key explains what they mean. Good luck and be careful. Go do my job for me. Thank you, children. <laughs> These thieves mean business. Don't get too close to them. Here's a gun, too. It takes about an hour to reach the location. Jason's got this look on his face like... I'm just thinking about the symbols. Oh. Like, like why why does there need to be symbols? He could just... A pin in the... I, 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 I guess in case the thieves come and raid the forest ranger's station. I don't know. Maybe pins with string around <laughs> showing the... Yes. Yeah. I mean... Maybe he's the Zodiac Killer. <gasps> Cyphers is just his thing. Could be. So, two 12-year-olds, a six-year-old, and the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> <laughs> it takes about an hour to reach the location. You leave the Jeep behind a large boulder as you hike the first few miles, the desert stretching before you. You're very tired. You aren't used to carrying a heavy load on your back, but once you reach the rim of the canyon, you get a burst of energy and excitement. Before you stretches a puzzle-like maze of large and small canyons. The yellow-orange rock and sand dazzle you with their beauty. Did you already determine who you were going to eat first when you die out here in the desert? I guess that depends on the order who dies. Oh, that's probably true. It's probably going to be you then. <laughs> You're the city boy on this hiking adventure. If this book were at all realistic, yes, probably would be you. <laughs> that seems legit. The first sight is only about a mile into the canyon. It was easy pickings for the thieves, you realize. Once you reach the site of the raid, your heart sinks. The damage is far worse than you had expected. Walking among the ruins, you can hardly tell that this was ever an Anasazi dwelling. The ground is pitted with digging and the walls of the houses have been knocked down. Picking through a pile of rubble, Edward finds a leather folder bearing the name Elk Mountain Mining Company. They just left it there. <laughs> yep. Hey, look at this. I think I found our first clue. There are maps inside the folder of all the Anasazi ruins in the area. 
A crew, a crew. Where is this Elk Mountain Mining Company, you ask? I don't know, Edward replies. Let's go back and see if we can find anything in the state records. God, that forest ranger is bad at his job. Yep. Maybe we should stay in the canyons and continue searching, you reply. Let's flip a coin, Edward suggests. Your guide, Philip Moss, says nothing. His eyes roam the silent canyon. You can't tell what he's thinking. Heads we go back, tails we stay, Edward says, tossing the coin into the air. You call it. Heads turn to page 34, tails turn to page 22. I'm going to get out a coin. Yeah. No, we don't need to flip a coin. I want to flip a coin. Are you going to flip a coin to determine which yeah. one? Okay. <laughs> We've done that before. Sure. I think that book actually told us pull out a coin and flip it. Well, we're though. doing it again. But I All like right. it. Uh, heads what? It, it, if, if it's it heads, says. you go back. And if it's tails, you stay. So. Heads. Okay, so you're going back to... Ranger Station Bravo. No, to oh. see if you can find anything in the state records. Uh, oh, so, research. Boo. Boo. Good choice, guys. Flipping <laughs> the coin. Hey, it was fate. I'm fine with the coin. It takes the decision responsibility off of us. That's true. Which is why Ed wanted to flip it in the first place. You guys do realize that if you had chosen tails, the coin would have come up tails and you would be doing the tail stuff. Nope. The coin didn't You guys that just way. took the choice off the table yourself. Yeah. Yes. You did. The coin didn't land that way. <laughs> the coin is... We listened to the coin. We flipped a coin before you got here and that coin said that we should flip a coin when this choice happened. The coin is all-knowing. She wasn't even here. <laughs> we did it yesterday. Pre-pre-record. <laughs> we did it before we ever even started this podcast. Like anything Jeremy says ever. So what you're saying is that you've already gone through and read this book. <laughs> thereby spoiling the entire podcast. Maybe. No, not really. Heads it is. You call Mr. Chinua when you arrive back in town and ask him to have one of the police researchers collect information about the Elk Mountain Mining Company. So you drove seven hours, hiked for a while, found one folder, hiked back out, drove seven miles, no, no, no. hours back. You drove seven miles out, hiked for a little bit, flipped a coin, <laughs> uh -huh. yes, and then, and then hiked back and drove, drove back. for seven, seven more hours. And we're not even tired. No. It's no. the power of youth. He agrees, pleased with your work. It's a good start on a tough problem. Arriving in Shiprock hours later, you say goodbye to Philip Moss, who had nothing to do at all. Nope. Go straight to tribal police headquarters and meet with Edward's dad. You don't know how glad I am, Mr. Chinua says, stopping in mid-sentence to pick up the phone. A moment later, he announces, There's been a shooting in one of the smaller villages, and I've got to go there. Sorry, you two go over the information on the mine, okay? Grabbing his vest and badge, Mr. Chinua rushes to his cruiser, a 4x4 pickup. Waiting for you in one of the conference rooms is a large pile of folders filled with newspaper clippings and odd bits of paper. It looks like we have our work cut out for us now, Edward says when he sees the pile. You take half and I'll take half. Then we'll compare notes. Right, you agree, with a shrug. This is not the dramatic time that you had pictured, but you know that research is really important. All afternoon, you read through the material without really finding out anything useful. At the end of the day, you and Edward head home. Did you read that article about why they closed the mine? Edward asked you over dinner. Edward's mom died six years ago. <laughs> okay, here's some info. And since then, he's learned to be a good cook. Okay. <laughs> yep. I guess I missed that article. Why did they close the mine, you respond? It was a uranium mine that produced plutonium for nuclear weapons. 
1978, it was closed because the quality of the ore was poor. At least, so it was reported. Some people think they wanted to wait until prices went up. Nobody has been working the mine for years. It's still abandoned. Let's take a look at it, you suggest. It's a long haul, but two days later, you stand on a small hill overlooking the mine. It's really spooky out here, you say, surveying the area. Edward parks the jeep next to what looks like an office building. Hey, fresh tire tracks in the parking lot, you announce. Don't know how you know how to find fresh tire tracks. We just saw them. In a parking lot. <laughs> we saw them. They're fresh. You saw tire tracks in a parking lot. Yeah, they're still <laughs> warm. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Case solved. Has nothing to do with the sun beating down on your head, but yeah. Somebody's been here recently. We better be careful. You spend the next hour searching the buildings, but in vain. It's probably some car scat left behind, too. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Let's get out of our gear and go down into the mine, Edward suggests. Oh, hell yeah. Soon you're at the mouth of the mine, prepared to enter. You wear full body suits to protect you from the rock and keep you warm, and you carry powerful lamps, safety ropes, and harnesses. Do we want our superhero costumes with us? Sounds like sure it. Sure did. Snap. What's your superhero name? Quick. Quick. Boy. Okay, that was lame. <laughs> Anasazi Avenger. There you go. <laughs> Railroad ties lead into the mine. You follow these for almost an hour. By this time, you are deep under the Earth's surface, and the only light you have is from your lamps. On your right-hand side, you can see an opening. It is damp and cold in the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it cold? <laughs> Your imagination conjures up images of snakes, bats, and possibly even thieves. Yep, it just did. Let's go and look in there. I don't know that we're going to find anything by following these rails. Edward walks into the opening as you follow him. Go for it, Edward. Look at this. I think somebody's living here, he says. Oh, Lord. Your lamp scans the room. There's a bed and a pile of clothes. This certainly hasn't been sitting here since the mine was shut down over ten years ago. Creepy old hermit. As you speak, you see something with the beam of your lamp. Anazazi pottery, you yell. But I didn't. There must be over two dozen pots. Let's hide the jeep and stake this place out, Edward suggests. They'll still spot our fresh jeep tracks, though. Mm-hmm. Well, they, not if they're not as observant as you are. Oh, that, that's true. Nobody's quite on our scale. <laughs> Sitting on the roof of one of the buildings near the mine... You and Edward take turns watching the entrance. It is night now, and you are glad you brought along the infrared binoculars that enable you to see in the dark. Don't know where the hell you bought those. As well. Oh, we brought them with us from home. Just stole them from the ranger station. That's probably what we did. <laughs> you sleep while Edward takes a shift. Wake up. I think our thief has come home, Edward whispers in your ear as he shakes you. I see someone climbing over the hill next to the conveyor belt. Hand me the binoculars, you say. Looking through the binoculars, you see a man. He is carrying a very large sack. Maybe it's filled with pottery, you think. It's hard to make out any details too clearly. You keep watch, you tell Edward. I'll call your dad. Maybe he'll send some help. You can't arrest this guy. You don't have the authority. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's nice. Hurry, Edward replies. Unfortunately, the closest phone is over 75 miles away. Holy crap. It's a long, bumpy trip in the Jeep. I just figured it out. It's power wheels, dude. Oh. <laughs> You're driving around in power <laughs> wheels. The six-year-old makes sense, but... Yeah, well, the 12-year-old doesn't make sense in either one of them, but it makes more sense in the power wheels than in an actual Jeep. 
I mean, at least in an actual Jeep, you can reach the pedals. You could reach the pedals in the power wheels, too. You just can't sit comfortably in it. <laughs> you have to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the closest phone is over 75 miles away. It's a long, bumpy trip in the Jeep. I'll use the new helicopter, Mr. Chinua says over the phone. He sounds excited and eager. Are we in the same state? Like, how is this his jurisdiction at all for the one-man operation that we're busting up? I have no idea. Uh, He's in charge of all of the Central American federal lands. Oh, uh, maybe yeah. they're all just in the single reservation. The Navajo reservation is fairly large. Oh. Huh, okay. Returning to the mine, you can't find Edward at first. Then you see him. He's climbed into one of the little railroad car buckets formerly used to bring ore out of the mine. Slowly move toward him, careful not to make any noise. Finally, you reach him. Edward, you whisper. Your dad's coming. Helicopter, you point upward. Let's just hope that guy stays put in the mine, he replies. Don't worry, even if he does leave, we'll be able to track him down with the helicopter, you say. (laughs) I want to ride that helicopter. In less than an hour, you hear the chattering of helicopter blades cutting through the air. The craft circles once, then settles down, raising a cloud of dust. The man runs out of the mine and sprints. Fucking hear the approach. There wasn't your surprise attack. Mm -hmm. Yep. The man runs out of the mine and sprints towards a nearby side canyon. He's escaping, you yell. Let's get him. (laughs) Mr. Chinua suggests that it would be best for you to go after the man on foot. That way you could follow him even if he hid in narrow canyons where the helicopter could never land. On the other hand, the helicopter might intimidate the man into surrendering. If you decide to chase the man with the helicopter, turn to page 19. If you agree, it would be better to go after the man on foot. Turn to page 65. Go for it, children. Chase this man without yeah. weapons. You guys go tackle him down. I'm going to s- stay here and sip my coffee. Yeah. This isn't even my jurisdiction. <laughs> I wasn't even supposed to be here today. <laughs> Chekhov's gun. Why wouldn't we use the helicopter? There's been a lot of Chekhov's things in this book so far. None of them have panned out. Let's blow that motherfucker off the canyon with the helicopter. You want to hop in the war chopper? I do. Get the chopper. Perfect. You climb into the helicopter and take off. From the large opening on one side, you and Edward scan the area below with the binoculars. To the right, you yell over the noise of the rotors. Can you see him? He's just about to cross the river. Mr. Chinua responds quickly, but the man crosses the river and escapes into a small canyon. We'll have to wait till he comes out, Edward says. Mr. Chinua answers. I'm going to try and get as close as possible. We've got loudspeakers and tear gas. The helicopter gets close to the canyon. A figure jumps out from behind a rock holding a rifle. The first bullet flies through the cabin without hitting anybody, but the second bullet hits the blades above you. The helicopter spins and loses altitude in a sickening lurch. Within seconds, it hits the floor of the canyon and explodes upon (laughs) impact. It doesn't take long for the flames to incinerate all of you. Hell yeah. The end. Wow. (laughs) That's probably the best possible ending. Oh my god, he got us with a rifle. That's amazing. We had no snipers on board that thing, apparently. No, it was just you and Mr. Chinua and Edward. And whoever was flying it. No, Mr. Chinua was flying flying it. it. Oh my God, that's amazing. Well, success. (laughs) We win. (laughs) Um, I'm not entirely sure about this one, (laughs) but I think that might have more to do with the choices you guys made than with the story (laughs) itself. I don't know. I think even as a child, I would have questioned some of those, like, jurisdiction sort of questions, which sort of dampers the enthusiasm. 
Oh, I did not dampen this character's enthusiasm. <laughs> he was rock hard. <laughs> Bad choice of words. <laughs> That's the superhero name I meant. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So, yeah. Ah, damp canyon. <laughs> damp cavern. What was Damn damp, shaft. damp shaft. Damp shaft. Damn. That's his. That's his superhero name. Cold damp shaft. Cold damp shaft. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm. I'm not sold on this book. No, me neither. It's got a great title, but I don't really like the main character, which is bad because it's us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like myself. And uh, and I leaned real heavy into the racism there at the beginning. I'm not real. <laughs> not real proud of that either. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'll skip this one. Yeah. Uh, 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 no. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you want to check out more books from Choose Your Own Adventure, go to cyoa.com. If you want to check out more books from us, you can go to incrediblydaring.com. Uh, I am Jeremy. I'm Jason. I'm Connie. The end. So I'm kind of guessing that this is Ed in this picture in the back. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he definitely doesn't look like he's old enough to be driving a Jeep either. No. Well, I mean, Native Americans like have nicer skin and look younger, and right? Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. It's a racist thing. All right. I'm not the person to be asking about the subtleties of Indian skin. <laughs> I'm editing that all. Out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That one you might want to edit.